Show wish to thank our primary sponsors, the Mallon Agency, located in Springfield, PA, where they take pride in exceeding expectations every time. Anthony DeCecco and our friends at Tennis Addiction are ready to serve all your tennis needs at their beautiful facility in Exton, PA. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Rosie and Bill Show. Our guest this week was at the forefront of the country music explosion back in the 90s. His band, Ricochet, pumped out hit after hit, combining relatable lyrics, catchy hooks, and seamless harmonies. Please welcome to the Rosie and Bill Show an artist whose music and voice are timeless, Heath Wright. Hi, Heath. So nice to meet you. Thank you, Rose. Thank you for that introduction. Wow. You, you <laughs> said that just the way we rehearsed it. I'm, I'm proud of you. <laughs> You're not supposed to tell anybody. Oh, no, I know. That was all that was all off the cuff, wasn't it? <laughs> okay. Exactly. Man, that, you know, it, when you say the 90s, I realize it's been 30 years since I put this band together. I, I moved to Nashville May 18th, 1993, and I start, I joined a band called Lariat, which would eventually become Ricochet. I kind of started uh, putting the band together. Well, through no fault of my own, Lariat kind of disbanded the month after I joined them. So, you know, not not my fault. I just want to point that out again. But, you know, we, <laughs> we were able to rebuild it and we renamed it Ricochet. And, you know, it, it, as they say, the rest is, is history, 30 years of history. <laughs> Wow. So you didn't have that much time between when you got there and things really took off for you. You know, you're right. Everyone told me that expect to be in Nashville for five years before anything happens because it's a five year town. I kept hearing that five year town, you know, but we were only there for a couple of years. We got there right about um, right about the perfect time. Country music was going through a bit of a, a kind of a down a downslope in bands like uh, Little Texas was kind of taking some time off the road and they they'd uh, just left the record label. So they were weren't really a, you know in the forefront anymore. And then there was a Restless Heart. Larry had left Restless Heart to go do his own thing. And groups like I uh, like the Gibson Miller Band and and uh, well, there was there was other bands that just just completely disbanded, uh, just and broke up. So I you know I felt pretty uh, pretty fortunate that country music was really needing a band at the time. And so uh, it, I was there. Like I said in 1995, we got signed to Columbia Records, and I had just moved there two years prior to that. So we got signed to Columbia Records in 95, and later that year, we had our first hit record with a song called What Do I Know? Heath, what was that like for you? I mean, you said, you know, you moved there in, in 93, and yeah, it's, it's some people say five-year town, 10-year town, but like, what was that transition like for you? You're coming from Vianne, Oklahoma, you're going to Nashville, and things just kind of snowball. What was that? Was it all kind of a blur for you those first few years? Well, it seems like it takes forever, even though it only took us two years to get signed. I mean, honestly, I... I moved out there to join a band that I was told had some label interest and that, you know, we, they were this close to getting signed to a recording contract and, you know, this and that. I, I just, uh, the band kind of, they disbanded. I'll tell the story that they had a, a manager uh, that wasn't really a music manager. He had owned a, uh, a carnival company. So he would go into a town and say, look, I've got this carnival and I, it's turnkey. I, I've got everything you need. I, I've got the, the rides. I've got the food vendors. I've even got a band that can play the beer tent. And, you know, Wait a so minute. 
Was it yeah. Colonel Parker? <laughs> that was well, similar to Colonel Parker. Yes. So yeah, <laughs> that story is a guy named Ed Burlingame. But anyway, Ed, he had the band Lariat and unbeknownst to the two original brothers, the two original founding members of Lariat, he also uh, put the name Lariat in under his name. He, he registered it under his name. So when they decided to leave Ed and go with a different manager, well, Ed just decided to take another band, rename them and give them all the summer dates that was on the books. So, you know, it, music is there's music has a uh, the music business, I should say, is kind of a backstabbing, you know, uh, to behind your back kind of business. If you're not careful, if you're not watching your your P's and Q's, you can you can kind of get screwed and that's kind of what happened to the two brothers that that formed lariat they got they let their name that they'd worked so hard to build a brand under get taken out from under them so i i joined that band in may of 93 and then by july of 93 we were we were done we didn't have any dates on the books and and our band members were dropping like flies because they were just trying to trying to find a summer tour to go on so they could have some money and uh we just started rebuilding it at that point. I just started uh, bringing in one band member after another, and I guess got lucky. And by February of 94, I had the six members of Ricochet together, and we had obviously had to come up with a new name. So our new manager, I, I'll tell you that story. Our new manager was a guy who owned a nightclub in Columbia, Missouri. And he had a, this. the name of his nightclub was The Silver Bullet. So he wanted to call us The Silver Bullet Band. And it's like, Steve, you can't do that because for the last 30 years, uh, you know, Bob Seger has been using that name already. Bob Seger and Silver Bullet Band. So he's, his wife come up with the idea that it would, she said, well, look cool on the sign out front if the Silver Bullet presents Ricochet. And I thought it was cool because it was one word, three syllables, easy to remember. And uh, I didn't realize it at the time, but uh, Shenandoah had kind of recently broken up or uh, Marty had left the band. And since they had kind of, gotten out of the forefront we became the most misspelled band in country music <laughs> how many c's are in ricochet well, <laughs> see, two, but you'd be surprised some of the misspellings I, one guy in in uh, west virginia tried to spell it with a q like he was spelling the word banquet or something it's like ricoquet or it, it was really <laughs> weird really weird I, I my bank wouldn't cash the check it was it was, it was misspelled so badly <laughs> oh my goodness yeah. I have to ask one one thing that just popped into my head as you were going through all those things with like the business side, because I know you, uh, you know, you had a degree that maybe came in handy. So I'm kind of wondering, were you, were you glad that you maybe picked that first major that you had when all this was going on? You've done your research, Bill. I like that. Yeah, brother. <laughs> I, I, I had gone to a, a for my mom and dad. They wanted me to have something to fall back on. And so I, you know, other than music, when I sent me to college, I said, why don't you study something besides music? And not, not that we, you know, don't think you can make it because we got faith in you. But just in case you need something to fall back on, that's what they kept saying, to, something to fall back on. So I studied business. I started off as an accounting major at uh, Northeastern State University in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. Actually, at, at OU, I transferred from OU to NSU. But I, I uh, when I started my college years, I was I thought I was going to be an accountant. And I... I'm probably the only guy in country music that can still name four different depreciation methods to this day. <laughs> but anyway, I, uh, I changed my major from accounting to management uh, sort of about, about my sophomore year when I realized that there's no way I'm going to ever be an accountant. So I I can uh, I still kind of prepare my my expense and, and profit and loss statements for my for my tax accountant. Uh, tax accounting was one of the things that got me. I just couldn't couldn't stand it. But anyway, I am a, a business major with a minor in accounting and I 
am a country music singer and a cattle rancher. So <laughs> I don't, I don't wow. know what to call myself, honestly. But wait a minute. Didn't you also get a degree in music? I do. After I finished my, my business degree, after I got my, my four year bachelor's degree, I went on the road for a little while and um, just playing in a nightclub band, playing in a band that had like a string of nightclubs that we played in Oklahoma, Arkansas and Texas. Pretty much that that uh, the same, I don't know, eight or 10 nightclubs. And so we were just playing a circuit and I was playing to the same clientele over and over and not really, you know, believe it or not. Nashville executives don't come to Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Texas. At least they didn't in the in the early '90s to find the next Vince Gill. They weren't looking. They, that was, and there was no such thing as American Idol back then, or you know, The Voice. There was no way to to get seen and heard unless you went to Nashville to be seen and heard. And so I finally decided I'm I can't do this. I'm 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 not getting anywhere. So after about a year of of touring, I was too scared to move to Nashville. Still, I was afraid of failure. And so I went back to school. So I went to a school called South Plains College in Levelland, Texas, where they actually have a music program geared towards people who want to be in the music industry. Not not just those people who want to play in symphonies, but people who want to be in the industry. It's called the Commercial Music Program at South Plains College. They were ahead of their time. Very ahead of their time. They started that program in the, in the late 70s. And uh, it was just a bluegrass school back then. But now if you go to South Plains College, you, you never know. You might be lucky enough to win the Heath Wright What You Leave Behind scholarship there. I was so, going to say, you, you were just recently recognized there at that school, weren't you? Well, actually, later this week, I, I get to fly out there. They've, they've named me a distinguished alumni. Back in the 90s, they named a wing of the building after me, uh, the Creative Arts Building. And so I've and I've been serving for the last 15 years as the as the chairman of the board for the advisory board of the commercial music department there at South Plains. So that, they've done everything for me. I, that place is like home to me. I love South Plains College. I love Leveland, Texas. And I'm always honored to 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 receive any type of accolades that they that they want to give me. I, it's just it's just it's like like I said, it's like home. It's uh, those instructors that taught me. I always knew every morning when I got about out of bed at 7 a.m., that by the time I collapsed in my bed at midnight that night, I was going to be a better musician by the end of the day because I learned so much. I knew a lot when I went there because I'd been playing in bands most of my adult life. And I was an adult student when I went there. I was like 24 years old when I enrolled and 25 when I graduated. I was only there two semesters, but I did manage to get my degree in two semesters and the degree in commercial music, believe it or not. I studied mostly Western swing uh, music because I was I'd already played a bunch of commercial country music so I kind of wanted to study that old style of western swing guitar but I took you know voice lessons guitar fiddle and mandolin lessons while I was there and a whole bunch of the other classes like arranging and music theory one and two and songwriting I never even written a song until I took a songwriting course there and I learned how to write a song there honestly that sounds like a fabulous program. Gee, it is. It's a, it is a wonderful program. I I recommend it. We've had Grammy winners come out of South Plains College. Uh, Natalie Maines from the Dixie Chicks is a former student there. Uh, Leanne Womack is a former student. Uh, Ron Block from Allison Krauss's band, the Union Station. He's a, the banjo player for that. He's a he's a Grammy winner. Stuart Duncan from the Nashville Bluegrass Band is a Grammy winner. We got uh, uh, Jared Neiman and myself, and of course, uh, one of the guys in, in my class when I was there was Trent Willman, who is the producer. You, you know Trent. He's the producer for Cody Johnson now. Yeah. Just won his first CMA. Wow. Yeah. Well, congratulations. It's nice that you were honored and appreciated by your alma mater. I uh, love it. I want to take it back just for a moment to, to Ricochet when you first rehearsed and kind of reworked the band. Did you have any inkling that you were a part of something really special? 
I started realizing that what we had was was special when I heard us sing, start building our harmonies. Uh, one of the things in my head that I really wanted when I started rebuilding the band was I knew I wanted a big vocal sound. I was a huge Restless Heart fan. I still am. Uh, they're disbanded now, but I, I love Restless Hearts music. They they have told me that uh, they just kind of borrowed their vocal blend from the Eagles. So we call that style West West Coast harmonies, where you got two harmony parts that are high above the lead vocal and two lower parts below the lead vocal. And so that's kind of the harmony stack I wanted to build with Ricochet. But I also wanted a, a an instrumental band, a band that could play their instruments and play them well, but I wanted something that was different than every other band out there. And most bands, especially in country music, are guitar bands. And there might be a keyboard player as well, but most of them are just guitar bands. And I didn't know of any uh, country bands that featured fiddle and steel guitar. So we had a fiddle player already. And whenever I took over uh, the the lead guitar position after our guitar player left, I uh, I said, well, instead of hiring another guitar player, let's get a steel player because there's no bands out there that feature that. So we, uh, by, by, like I said, by February of, of 94, we had the band built. We had our harmony vocal blend. And our last, uh, our last member that I brought in was a steel player. So just because I wanted one, you know, six people, that was a lot of, that was a lot of band members, but honestly, everybody did a part. I mean, everyone uh, could sing for the most part. Our steel player wasn't really a vocalist, but we already had our five parts. So anyway, I didn't need another vocalist, but I did want a steel player, but, but we kind of, I kind of knew it was special in the sense that, you know, I didn't hear any other bands out there with that big vocal and the fiddle and the steel and stuff. I just, it sounded different to me than any other band in country music. Well, and I, I appreciate you sharing that Heath, because, you know, one of the bands, you know, back in the nineties that blew me away with their harmonies was Diamond Rio. Oh, and still... you know, Marty and, and those guys, you know, they take it to a level, but you guys took it to a, a different level. It's just, just absolutely amazing. And, and I think anyone who's, who's listened to, you guys do Seven Bridges Road or even What Do I Know? There's so many beautiful harmonies in there. In fact, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I was wondering was, you know, over the years, you know, members have come and gone, you know, with the band, but that the harmonies haven't missed the beat. Like, what do you attribute that to? Have you been able to keep that aspect of your music so strong? Well, as I said, when I put the band together originally, I knew I wanted a big vocal sound, and then I got tied into that. You know, I mean, what, as you said, we've we've uh, we've had members come and go. I'm the only original member left of Ricochet, but I, we still have that big harmony blend, and that's not by accident, Bill. We uh, every time I had to replace a band member, I made sure that that band member could not only play his instrument, at, at least one instrument. Most of my guys are multi-instrumental. They can play at least two, two or more instruments. But I made sure that that not only could they, were they a master on their instrument, but they could also sing a part. And so I've just kept that vocal thing going throughout the years. I've been very fortunate to find singing musicians who could, uh, who could fill in the part that they, you know, that they were, that they, whoever band member was leaving at the time. Yeah, and everything you guys play and sing today is in the same key that it was back in the 90s, isn't it? Yeah, how did you know that? Yeah, you're right. You're exactly right, brother. We haven't lowered any of the keys. Probably should. I mean, it's been 30 years and my voice is, uh, it's held out somehow. I don't know how, but it has, I guess all this clean living I'm doing on the ranch. I don't know, but I uh, I love singing these songs. And to me, they just don't sound the same if you try to change the keys, you know, it, it, and a lot of people do, they'll go in and they'll change the keys of their songs and they'll lower them to, to fit, you know, their voice, their older voice. But 
man, I'm still trying to to screech them out in the same keys. So it's it's uh, it's it's working so far. <laughs> it definitely is. In fact, your first number one hit, Daddy's Money, that one has some pretty high parts that you still hit incredibly well. And one of the things, Heath, I wanted to ask you about was uh, there's a pretty cool story kind of behind the writing of that song, your first number one hit, Daddy's Money. Can you share that with right. I love the fact you guys have done your research, man, that you're you're right about this that song. I wish I could say I wrote that song. I didn't have a hand in the writing of that song. It was written by three amazing songwriters, uh, Steve Seskin, Bob DePiro, and Mark D. Sanders co-wrote that song. And uh, one day they're sitting at a publishing company, right? And they're, they're, they're all gathered up and they're trying to come up with something to write about. Now, songwriters, at least Nashville songwriters, they schedule time to be creative, you know, it's like, all right, 10 a.m. Tuesday morning, we're going to get together. We're going to write, write something great. No, nobody <laughs> knows what they're going to write, but they all get together and they sit in a room, they stare at each other until, and they just have conversations until something comes up that they feel like is, is writable. Uh, so one day they're, they're having trouble coming up with anything to write about. And this young man by the name of Jeff Herndon pulls up in the parking lot and you could, they could see him. There was a window there in the, in the room that they were writing. They could see him pull up in the parking lot in a brand new Jaguar. Now you may not know who Jeff Herndon is because later in his career, after he got signed to a record deal, he started going by the name Jeff Carson. So Jeff is in this brand new Jaguar. He hadn't got a record deal yet. He's just a demo singer, basically. I mean, he might be signed to a publishing deal as well, but he hadn't written any hit songs. So he's not making enough money to afford a brand new Jaguar. Anyway, he pulls up in this beautiful car and he gets out and the guys are looking at him. And they're just like, what in the hell? Why, why is Herndon, why is he driving a brand new Jaguar? And, they're saying, and one of the guys, I think it was Mark D, said, well, have you seen that woman he's married to? Not only is she gorgeous, but apparently she's got her daddy's money, too. <laughs> Voila. They finally had something to write about that day. So when back in the days, I used to talk to Jeff all the time. God rest his soul. I used to say, mm -hmm. Jeff, thank you, buddy. Thank you for showing up at just the right time. And say thank you to Kim for loaning you her car that day. <laughs> it was his wife's car. I love the line in the song about that, you know, the, the pretty woman singing in the choir loft. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't concentrate on the preacher preaching. My attention span's done turned off. I'm honed in on that angel singing up there in the choir loft. <laughs> what, a great, what a great line. A great verse. And, and you know, little lines in that song like country is a turnip green. Um, more laughs than a stack of comic books. Just little things like that. These guys are such great writers, and I'm just so happy to have put all that money in their pockets <laughs> all these years. <laughs> yeah. They deserve it. I mean, I'm just saying they just, they can share a little bit of it with old Heath, but but they do deserve it. You know. <laughs> there you go. It's it's got to be a, a collaborative effort, and you know, splitting up the rewards. Yeah, well, you know, publishers publishers get and writers get the lion's share of a hit song. Me, I'm the. I tell people like this. I say, you know when you see a truck rolling down the interstate, chances are the guy driving the truck doesn't own the load in the back. Chances are he's just bringing it to you. He's just bringing it to Walmart so that you can have it. I'm the truck driver. The guys, the guys that wrote the song, they're the owners of the load. I'm just bringing it to you. I'm just bringing you that song. <laughs> so I'm, I'm lucky in the sense that I got to bring that song to the people. Well, it's a great perspective, and it's good for people to realize that, too. Let's talk about your new album. Let's see. It's called The Hits and More, Then and Now. Yes. How did you come to all the songs on that album? Well, we left Columbia Records in, uh, I want to say, September of, 20, uh, of, of 2000. September of 2000. And uh, 
that was 23 years ago. It's hard to believe it was 23 years ago. And we really didn't shop around for another deal as hard as we should have because we kind of wanted to just be out of that for a little while. We didn't want to have to chase radio for our next hit. So we got the idea that we would start recording on our own dime. So as we could afford it, we would go into the studio and cut three or four songs with a producer. And then a year or two later, we might do the same thing with a different producer. So eventually we had enough songs to release an entire album of new music, but we didn't have a record label to help us get it out there. So it just sat in the can for years and years and years. This stuff has been recorded for quite some time. Um, we also decided to go into the studio af afterwards and, and re-record re six of the old hits. Uh, so songs like Daddy's Money and What Do I Know and Seven Bridges Road, these are all re-recordings of the old hits. Now, I say that, but I want to clarify one thing. I'm a country music fan before I'm a country music artist. And when I go to a concert, I love to sing along with the artist up on stage. I mean, I, I, I love these songs, you know. But sometimes you can always you can tell whenever an artist gets tired of singing his own hits because he changes them. He'll change the phrasing of this line or he'll change the melody of that line. And it sort of gets to the point that you can barely recognize the song anymore. Uh, and I it's like, I don't know this new version. I can't sing along with this 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 version of the song. So I told the guys, I said, man, we're going to go in and we're going to record these tunes. We're going to record them exactly the way they were recorded the first time. And so the only difference between Daddy's Money, the new recording, and Daddy's Money, the original recording, is the technological advances that have happened in the recording industry over the past couple of decades. Because I think the new recordings sound so much cleaner and so much better than the original recordings. It's like listening to Ricochet and HD now. It's just a, a much better, a much better product. So we uh, recorded 10 brand new songs and six re-recordings of the old hit, put them together. That's why it's called Then and Now, The Hits and More. Heath, I have to tell you, um, uh, I had one last question I wanted to ask you, but before I do, I want to just make a quick comment because those hits that you just referenced that you re-recorded and just talking about the music in the 90s and, and all the great music uh, in the 90s, I'm feeling that there's thankfully kind of a resurgence. I think you're, you're, you're releasing this album at the right time. I feel there's a resurgence, there's a need for the lyrics, the stories, the songs, what do you think? Do you see and feel the same thing? Oh, I do. I don't I don't really know what the cause is for this resurgence of 90s music, but I love it. I'm so happy it's happening right now. It's given me a, a second a second time to go out and, and relive you know, these songs. I bought a bus last year so because they put us out on tour so much more than I was in previous years. So I'm uh, I'm happy to be able to still be able to do this 30 years later. Uh, you know what's funny? I love it when a young woman comes through the autograph line in her mid thirties. And she says something to me like my daddy used to tell me that that song, daddy's money was written about me. And I, I started thinking about it. He's like, wait a minute, you're in your mid thirties. And then I do the math in my head and say, Oh, well, that makes sense. You was probably seven or eight years old at the time, you know? So it's, it's so nice that these songs were the backdrop to these people's lives. They were the, the soundtrack, if you will, you know, and, and uh, even people who weren't even alive back then are getting into nineties music. I love it when when young college kids come up and they'll sing Daddy's Money to me. You know, it's like, ah, you you know that song. You weren't even born. You weren't even thought of yet. But it's it's just so awesome, Bill. I, and, and Rosie, I've got to tell you, I'm blessed. I, I think it's just a wonderful thing that 90s music is coming back around. It, it, it was quality back then. I think it's quality music now. Uh, and I'm not just talking about our music. I'm talking about all the 90s music out there. It was just one of the greatest shining moments in country music, I think. Wow. Well, before we go... 
Uh, he, I, quick question, because when we signed on to record the show, you mentioned that you had quite a busy day. I don't know how you juggle all these things, but you have a ranch and you were attending to a calf. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm I'm trying to get rid of my steer calves right now because the market is so high. And I've got one that has been sick for a week. I can't get my vet to call me back for some reason. I don't know what, but I've been going out and giving him shots of vitamin B, uh, some antibiotics. Uh, I've been making, I've been hand feeding him, making sure that he gets plenty of grain and water and hay. And I've done everything I know. He can't really stand up on his own all day long. So I've got this device that we call it a hip hugger that kind of clamps down on the hip bones and I've got it attached to my tractor and I've got him lifted up so that he can get blood flowing in his legs during the day. I'll, as soon as I hang up with you guys, I'm going to go out and I've checked on him twice today already. He's still standing. But, and one day, one day he gave me hope. One day I went out there in the morning. Usually when I go out in the morning, he's down on it and he, and he can't get up. And so I'll drag him over and I'll put him on the hip hugger and raise him up and massage his legs for him and try to try to get him, get him going. He's just, he's a yearling. He's actually younger than a year. And I'm trying to get him up to uh, up to weight so I can sell him, but he's not he's not really a he's he's not cooperating right now. So I'm 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 a little so say if you if say if you love animals say a little prayer for the little guy. I haven't named him because I'm going to get rid of him, but you know he's he's a he's a he's a fighter. I've I've lost one calf this week already. I've already had to drag one off, and and I lost a full grown cow last week. Okay. So every now and then, this time of year, when the weather starts changing, if you got weak ones in the in your herd, they'll they'll go down on you. You're going to lose one or two. But yeah, I'm a I'm a cattleman. Well, <laughs> I we'll tell people that, this. We'll put good good effort, good prayers out there for, for. I appreciate that. I tell people that the best way to become a millionaire in the cattle business is to start with two million. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's a it's a I guess sometimes thankless and and just such a hard job and such an admirable job that you do, Heath. And and just want to thank you so much for taking the time, especially with all that you, that you've got going on. It's been great talking about your journey, the great music and great memories, and like you said, the soundtrack of people live people's lives that you provided. We're so excited about this new project. And again, we just want to thank you for taking the time to join us. And we look forward to hearing the new songs. And folks, we want to thank you for watching. And we'll see you next week. Thank you, guys. He left a letter for you by the door. Just saying goodbye. I don't love you no
Dockerty and Company Insurance Services for all your business and personal insurance needs. Our friends at Tennis Addiction in Exton, PA. And the Malin Agency, where exceeding expectations is how they do business. Interested in becoming a partner in positivity? Send us an email, Rosie and Bill Show 2018 at gmail.com. <laughs> 